Hello and welcome to Disseminate the Computer Science Research Podcast. I'm your host, Jack Wardby. A reminder that if you do enjoy the show, do please consider supporting us um, through buying me a coffee. It really helps us to keep making the show. So yeah, please do consider them supporting us. Today, I'm joined by Jinkun Jen, who will be telling us everything we need to know about NEZA, deployable and high-performance consensus using synchronized clocks. Jinkun is a PhD student at Stanford University. Jinkun, welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks for the invitation, Jack. Great stuff. So let, let's jump straight in then. So can you maybe tell us a little bit more about yourself and how you became interested in databases, distributed systems, and all the cool research that you do? Yeah, cool. Sure. So my name is Jinkun Gan. So I'm now a fifth-year PhD student in the CS department of Stanford University. So uh, my research direction is the networking system. So more specifically, my research project, my current research projects focusing on high performance uh, distributed protocols, including consensus protocols and the concurrent control protocols. So before I joined Stanford in 2019, I completed my undergraduate study and my master's study in both in China. So I completed my undergraduate study in Beihang University, and then I entered Tsinghua University to obtain my master's degree. So regarding my research career, I think I can divide it into two parts. So the first part is uh, before my PhD. So I mo- mostly I conducted the research in Tsinghua University, uh, advised by Professor Dan Li. So at this moment, at that time, I was doing high-performance networking, which means I use DBDK RDMA to accelerate the communication in distributed systems. So further, based on that, we can continue to bring performance improvement on distributed applications, such as distributed machine learning applications. And that is what I was doing in my master. And uh, when I came to Stanford, I finally found my current supervisors. So I joined the group of uh, Professor Balaji Prabhaka. And Balaji is my uh, primary advisor. And at the meantime, I was also co- I'm also co-advised by Professor Mendel Rosblum and also Professor Anil Sabarami. So Mendel is another professor in Stanford and Anil is a professor in uh, New York University. So in our current group, we are, the general direction is called time sensitive networks. So the motivation for this general direction is like this. So dating back to decades, years ago, decades ago, uh, such as uh, 10 years or 20 years ago, at that time, clock synchronization has not been a merged technique. So the clock synchronization error can be quite bad, uh, quite bad, uh, dating back to 20 years ago. Uh, the different nodes can even reach the error bound of 100 milliseconds. So for the early researchers in distributed systems, they cannot make strong assumptions of the, uh, uh, they cannot make strong assumptions of the clock synchronization. So, but in the recent years, especially in the past three to five years, we have seen that clock synchronization is developing very fast. And uh, the traditional protocol like NTP has improved the uh, synchronization accuracy to a greater amount. And uh, for the new pro- uh, and some new clock synchronization protocols have also been proposed, like the pro- like the synchronization algorithm we have used in NERJA protocol, which is called Huygens, uh, which is developed by another senior lab mate in our group. So with the new synchronization algorithm, we can reach the clock synchronization accuracy at nanosecond level. So in that way, with this new powerful tool, we come to ask whether we can review and even revolutionize the previous distributed system research and achieve much better performance. 
And the consensus protocol is one such scenario. Fantastic. That's a great mission statement for the for, for what your lab are doing there. I mean, yeah, like you say, it's it's a different ball game from 20 years ago, right? Like the, assum- the underlying assumptions have changed. We've got better mm-hmm. hardware. So well, how does that how does that change the state of play? So yeah, I guess that's what we're going to be talking about today. So um, in some more depth. So cool. So let's start off with a little bit more background for the listening. So before we dig mm-hmm. into all the nitty gritty and everything, can you tell us more yeah. about kind of consensus protocols generally? What are they? and Why do we need them? Yeah, okay. So, you know, t- uh, actually consensus protocol is not as widely applied in many distributed systems because distributed systems require fault tolerance. So consensus protocols help the system, uh, consensus protocols provide the fault tolerance for the systems. So it can ensure the service availability for the, uh, the distributed systems. When that, when the one server fails, you just need to use the other servers to replace the field ones, and it can resume the service for the systems. So simply speaking, the distribu- uh, the consensus protocols can be defined in a scenario with multiple servers. So the protocol needs to coordinate the multiple servers so that they can reach an agreement on a single data value. So this is commonly known as a single decree pixels. Or you can call that a single decree consensus because Paxos has already become the synonym of, has already become the synonym of consensus. But of course, in the practical cases, the single decree consensus is not sufficient for the applications. So in many practical cases, we can make abstraction of the application's execution. We represent the execution history of the application as an ordered log list. So it becomes the responsibility of the consensus protocol to make sure that every server has the same ordered log list. So in that way, when the active server fails, we just need to use another server which has the same ordered log list to replace that. By re-executing the log list, we can recover the same application state, and then we can resume the service. Fantastic. That's a great, it's a great description of what consensus was. I mean, I, I personally work, work with one every day. So we have, we have rafter at work. So we, I, I have fun with that quite a lot of time, but um, cool. Right. Anyway, I'm getting sidetracked. So let me, let me keep on, on focus. So of course mm-hmm. you mentioned there that, um, Paxos is sort of a kind of almost a synonym for consensus protocols. I know there's a host of other ones like raft out mm-hmm. there, but what are the current problems with the, with, well, what are the problems with the current state of art? consensus protocols and why does we need to sort of have a new one right like what's what's the motivation here the problems and then i guess leading into the motivation for your for your work yeah yeah i think uh, based on my understanding i think uh, for the state of art uh, for the uh, for the existing uh, consensus protocols the drawbacks can be summarized into two dimensions so the first dimension is performance and the second dimension is deployability as you mentioned, for the traditional protocols like uh, multiplexels and uh, like Raft, when they are designing the protocols, they cannot make strong assumptions. So for these protocols, of course, with many, uh, they do not have strong assumptions, so they can be deployed everywhere. But uh, the performance is not very good. And uh, for these protocols, they usually suffer from the throughput bottleneck, and also the commit latency can be very long. So that will become the bottleneck for the system and applications running on top of them. So these, these drawbacks of the traditional protocols have already been realized by some recent works. So for some recent protocols like no Paxos and the speculative Paxos, they are trying to achieve high performance. So in order to do that, they decide to use some network support 
such as uh, the program switches, such as SDN control. But in that case, it, it introduces another problem, which is the deployability. Because we know in the public cloud, which is the general uh, environment for many uh, system and applications, we do not have the support for, uh, we do not have such strong support. And from the perspective of the cloud tenant, the, the, the network is just like a black box. So you cannot use program switches or SDN control. So in that way, the high-performance protocols developed in the recent years cannot be easily deployed in public cloud. So that is why it motivates us to design a new protocol. We hope that we can achieve both high performance and deployability so that we can provide benefit to the cloud systems and and applications. That's Yeah, that's fantastic. I mean, the the... I've always had this sort of, uh, whenever I come across a cool paper that's used some sort of modern hardware that's cutting edge and it's, yeah, look how fast we can make um, this system go using this hardware or this we can solve these problems using this hardware and it goes really fast. Is this what you mentioned there, this deployability of that? Like, that's not generally available in the public cloud and Mm -hmm. therefore it's kind of, well, it's not irrelevant, but like it's, I can't use that in a day in front, like day to day because I, not everyone has access to it, right? So I think it's great to factor that sort of dimension into into your design process. So I mm-hmm. guess with these sort of two dimensions in mind, then give us the elevator pitch for Neza, and I think I'm pronouncing mm-hmm. it right. Is it Neza? Uh, Neza, yeah, uh, yeah. Neza, okay. And what does right. it mean? What what does it, what does it mean? Uh, uh, Neza actually it comes from uh, Neza is the name of a Chinese legendary figure. So for ah, Neda, actually, cool. it, uh, this figure has three heads and uh, six arms. So you can imagine that if you cut down one head, this guy is still alive. So it has, much <laughs> okay, more, cool. it has a stronger fall tolerance. <laughs> I get it. I get it. That's a great yeah. name. That's a great name. Cool. Well, yeah, yeah. So give us the elevator pitch then. Well, how, yeah, how are we yeah. going to achieve these two goals? Uh, yeah, for the, yeah, I think there are three design pillars. Uh, I think there are three pillars in the Neda design. Uh, so the first, uh, the first aspect, of course, is clock synchronization. So let's first think about this question. Why does clock synchronization can, why does clock synchronization accelerate the uh, consensus protocols? So essentially, uh, essentially consensus protocols are trying to establish the agreement of one ordered log list. So if you can imagine that if you have multiple replicas and you have many clients, imagine that each, uh, each request is multicast to every replica and imagine that each request will arrive at the replica in the same order. So in that way, these replicas will establish the same ordered log list by nature. So we do not, we, even without a coordination. This is the ideal case, but this does not always happen. This can hardly happen actually in the public cloud because in the public cloud, we have observed that message reordering occurs very frequently. So in that way, if we can reduce the message reordering in the network, then we should be able to accelerate the consensus protocols. This design principle has already been realized by the existing works, like what I mentioned, such as uh, no Paxos and speculative Paxos. So they decide to resort to the networking support, like SDN control, to control the networking transmission in order to reduce the message ordering. But also, as I mentioned, this network support is not available in the public cloud, but p- clock synchronization is already available in the public cloud. So we decide that we can use clock synchronization to reduce the mastery ordering so that we can accelerate the consensus. So motivated by that, we have first developed a primitive, which is called deadline order multicast primitive. And we can talk about that, lat- that later. And based on the DOM primitive, we continue to develop now another protocol to achieve high performance. 
So this is the first aspect I want to highlight. So the second aspect I want to say is uh, the speculative design, which we included in the NERDA protocol. So if we take a review of the traditional protocols like uh, Multiplexels and, and uh, Raft, we can see that the, for these protocols, they ask the leader to execute the request after the leader has confirmed that the request has been replicated to a majority of replicas. So the confirmation operation is also known as the quorum check, which means that in the traditional protocols like Multiplexels and Raft, only after the quorum check is completed, then the execution can be done. So this actually prolongs the commit workflow. So we don't want that. So in our design, we just ask the leader uh, aggressively exit the request. So that means it is no longer the responsibility of the, of the leader to do the quorum check. And we have another entity to help the protocol do the quorum check to decide whether this request is committed or not. So this is the second aspect, the speculative execution. And following that, the, the third aspect is also related to the second one. So which means in our protocol, we have extracted a stateless proxy design. So the proxy becomes an important component. It helps us to do the request multicast and help us to do the quorum check. So in that way, for these heavy operations, which are used to be done by the leader, we have offloaded them into the proxy. So in that way, the leader's bottleneck becomes much reduced. And because the proxy is stateless, we can scale up and down the number of the proxies based on the workload. So if your workload is heavy, you can deploy more proxies. Uh, otherwise, you just need to reduce the number of proxies. So because the proxy is stateless, the failure of the proxy does not affect the correctness of the protocol. And because it is scalable, it helps us to reduce much of the bottleneck at the leader. And additionally, because the, the proxy also serves as a middleware, it actually say it serves as a, an adapter for us to migrate, migrate the distributed system from legacy protocols to NERDA. For example, many protocols, many systems are running on top of a multiplexels and a raft. By just implementing an adapter of the proxy, we can easily migrate, migrate the, uh, the, the system from Raft and Multiplexels to NERDA so that they can also enjoy the high performance provided by now protocol. Fantastic. So just to recap there briefly, the three pillars of NERDA there are the, um, the deadline ordered multicast, which is helping us with our, um, I didn't have a question on that actually. Before we mm-hmm. continue, is you so you mentioned that the, in the public cloud, it's been observed that message reordering happens frequently. Do you have any yeah. sort of like numbers with that, like as a rough guideline of how frequent we're talking? Oh yes. So in, uh, in our paper, we have included that number. We have included that experiment. So based on now, uh, based on now, uh, first we define a metric which is called the reordering score. And to measure the, re, uh, to measure the frequency of the reordering. And based on our measurement, we find, we have found that so long as you have multiple senders and so long as the sending rate increases, you will reach a very, very high reordering score, which can be 20% to 40% of reordering, uh, which can be 20% to 40%. So that is a very, that indicates a very, very frequent reordering in the public cloud when you yeah. do not have any control. Yeah, that's, 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 that's larger than I thought it would be. That's very interesting. Cool. Yeah. So um, just to continue the, the quick recap there, we also have 
um, the speculative execution. So we mm-hmm. kind of we don't have to kind of have this sort of like commit latency waiting for the leader to sort of do everything. And then the last thing is we have this stately, stateless proxy design, which allows us yeah. to offload multicast and quorum check and all that system sort of middleware. So again, mm-hmm. we're offloading stuff from from the leader. Awesome, <laughs> cool. Great. So let's dig into the details a little bit more. So let's start off with deadline ordered multicast. Tell us yeah. more about it. Yeah, explain it to us. Yeah. As I have mentioned that uh, the message reordering is a performance killer to the uh, consensus protocols. So we, so that is why we developed the deadline order multicast, or simply we can call that DOM. We developed DOM primitive to help us reduce the message reordering in the public cloud. So it is some, uh, it is the design of DOM primitive is uh, quite simple. So suppose that we have multiple senders and we have multiple receivers, and the senders will multicast the messages to the receivers. We hope that the receivers can receive the same sequence of messages. So in order to do that, first, we synchronize the clocks of the senders and receivers. So with the clock synchronization, the sender can me- we can measure the one-way delay between the sender and the receivers. So in that way, when the sender wants to multicast the messages, it will attach a deadline on the messages. So the deadline is decided by the sending time plus the maximum estimated one-way delay between the sender and all the receivers. So in the good case, uh, in most cases, the, when the request is multicast, it should be any, it should be able to arrive at each receiver before its deadline. So in that way, after receiving the messages, the receiver will just hold the message until its deadline. And then it will append this message to the log list. So we can imagine that if the DOM can eliminate all the material ordering, then each receiver should receive, should establish an ordered, an order log list, which follows the increasing order of their deadlines. So in that way, we can achieve the, uh, we can achieve the consistency among these receivers. But there, we should also notice that the DOM primitive is just the best effort primitive. That means, we are trying our best to uh, to reduce the mass reordering, but we do not guarantee that we can eliminate all the reordering. So that is why for Nerda, we should have a fast pass to commit a request efficiently if the mass reordering is completely eliminated. If the mass reordering is completely eliminated, but if the mass reordering still occurs, it can still lead to inconsistency. So in that way, we still need to have a slow pass in Nerda protocol to resolve the inconsistency and uh, finally commit a request. Awesome, cool. So I'm just trying to kind of get my head around the idea of, 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 of the DOM primitive then. So I guess that the deadline is every time we want to send a message, we the clocks are synced. So I kind of say, okay, I guess I guess the, the parameter that you control there is how long you set the deadline to be, right? I guess that's something you can manually control. Like, is that sort of configurable? Like how do you know from how long to set the deadline for, basically? Yeah, yeah. Yeah we, yeah, we decide deadline in this way. So as I mentioned, we have the clock synchronization. So in that way, uh, so periodically we will send some probing packet from the sender to every receiver. So in the probing packet, we include the sending time. And when the receiver receives the, and when the receiver receives the probing packet, it can calculate how long does it take for the receiver, for the sender, for the probing packet to arrive at the receiver. So that is what we call one way delay between the sender and the receiver. And by collecting these one-way delay samples, we can make an estimation of the one-way delay between the sender and receivers. So, for example, if you have uh, three receivers and sender was sender sends a problem packet to these three receivers, but between the receiver one and the sender, maybe the one-way delay is uh, 20 microseconds, 
and uh, between the uh, sender and the receiver two, it is uh, maybe forty microseconds, and between it with stream, it may be thirty microseconds. So since we have known these uh, one-way delays between the sender receivers, so when the sender wants to multicast the messages, it will use the sending time plus the max of the one-way delays. So that should be sending time plus forty microseconds, and that will be the deadline for the to multicast this message. So in in the good case. This message should be able to arrive at all the receivers be, uh, before the deadline. Yeah, and then, if it arrives early, then the receiver will hold the message until its deadline, which means the receiver will just check its clock time. And then, when the clock time passes the deadline, it will release the request and append it to the log list. Fantastic. I'm really excited to kind of hear some numbers on this later on, but cool. So uh, before we jump to that, I want to, we need to get through the fast path and the slow path. Yeah. But maybe before we even do that, we should maybe talk through the architecture of mm-hmm. Nether a little bit more and some of the assumptions that you've made while you were designing this protocol. Yeah. Yeah. So briefly speaking, I should say that uh, the common setting, uh, the setting of uh, Nerja is uh, quite similar to the uh, setting of traditional protocols. So we still have uh, two F plus one replicas. So typically, you can have three replicas, five replicas. You can have an odd number of replicas. And among these two F plus one replicas, one replica is uh, elected as a leader, and the other replicas are followers. So uh, when the client wants to commit its request, it directly talks to one proxy, and the proxy will do the request multicast, and later it will also do the quorum check to decide whether this request is committed. And if the request is committed, it will return the execution result to the client. And here, as I mentioned, with the DOM primitive, we have a fast pass. If there is no message reordering, then this request should be committed in a fast pass. But if there is a message reordering, there, uh, it can lead to the inconsistency among replicas. But that is not a big worry because proxy will detect the inconsistency. And then finally, the replicas can commit the request in the slow pass. Amazing stuff. So let's go through the fast path then. So walk us yeah. through the fast path, the happy case where we, we've mm-hmm. not got many messages out of order. The DOM, DOM primitives work perfectly. Cool. Yeah. Take it away. <laughs> yeah. 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 For the fast path, it works in this way. So the proxy receives this message and uh, receives the request from the client. And so it uses the DOM to multicast the request to all the replicas. In the happy case, we do not have message ordering. So in that way, every replica will receive the request and uh, hold the request until its deadline. And then this request is released and appended to the log list of this replica. So here we have a smart design so that only the leader will execute the request following the increasing order of their deadline. But the the followers do not execute the request. So followers only need to maintain the log list. And then every replica will send a reply to the proxy. And we call this reply fast reply. So inside the fast reply, every replica will include a hash value. And this hash value represents the, uh, the log list on this replica. So after receiving the fast replies, the proxy can check the hash value inside the fast replies. So in that way, it can know whether these replicas have consistent states. So if the proxy receives the fast reply from the leader, and also receives the fast reply from F plus half of followers, then this request is considered committed in the fast path. And because the leader's fast reply will include the execution result, so the proxy will obtain the execution result and reply to the, uh, to the, uh, to the client. So this is the fast path. 
Nice, cool. So I guess now we've got the fast path, we need the slow path, right? So yeah, so yeah. what happens when things are out of order and we can't take this speedy route, we can't take the shortcuts, we've got to go a long yeah. way around. How does yeah. that work? Yeah, cool. So as you, as you have mentioned that this is, uh, you know, the fast path is just about the happy case. So we cannot guarantee that every request can arrive before it's deadline. Let's see if some requests arrive very late and it arrives at some replicas after the deadline. Then the replica receives this request. It tries to append this request to the log list. But suddenly, the replica notices, oh, I have already appended a request with a larger deadline. So I cannot continue to append this incoming one because this guy has smaller deadline. If I appended that, that will violate the increasing order of deadline of my log list. So how should we address that? So for the leader replica and the follower replicas, they will take different actions. So for the leader, like, uh, for the leader replica, we gave them much power. So if the leader replica finds that, okay, this guy's, this incoming request deadline is too small, then the leader replica will modify the deadline of the incoming request to be a larger value. And then this request become eligible to be appended to the log list of the leader. But for the follower replicas, they do not have so much power. So when the follower notice, okay, this guy, the incoming request deadline is too small. We cannot append that. The follower will just put the request aside. It will just, it will not handle that at this moment. So in that way, you can see if some request is appended, but it's, uh, if the request is appended to some replicas, but not appended on the other replicas, then these replicas will have inconsistency. So in that way, they will generate different hash values in, in the fast replies. Then the, then the proxy can, will detect this inconsistency. So the proxy will not be able to commit this request in the fast pass. So here, we, mark, we make the leader replica take an active role. So that means every time the leader appends the, log, the, the request into a log list, the leader will also broadcast its log indexes into the other follower replicas. So after the followers receive the log indexes from the leader, the followers will listen to the leader. It will say, it, it may notice that, okay, my log list is inconsistent with the leader. So I must modify my log list to keep consistent with the leader. So here, I hope you still remember when I was discussing, when I was describing the fast pass, I'm seeing that only the leader will execute the request. Followers only maintain the log list. So this is quite useful in resolving the inconsistency between the leader and followers. So imagine that if we also ask the followers to execute the request at the beginning, then when we are trying to resolve the inconsistency, maybe we will need to roll back at the follower. So that can be quite ex- expensive and even unsupported by the uh, application. But in our case, the followers do not execute the request. So the, to resolve the inconsistency, the followers just need, just need to modify the log list and then it can rapidly fix the inconsistency and keep consistent log list as a leader. So after the followers have completed the resolving of the inconsistency, it will send another reply to the proxy, which we call that slow reply. And the proxy, after it receives the fast reply from the leader, and also the slow reply from as followers, it will consider this request committed in the slow path. And again, it can obtain the execution result from the leader's fast reply and reply that to the client. 
Fantastic. So, so I'm really interested to see how 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 kind of some perform the performance numbers behind the fast path versus the slow pass versus yeah. other protocols out there. So I think it's time to talk some numbers. Can you yeah. tell us about your experiments and your setup and what sort of benchmarks you ran and what you compared never mm-hmm. against? Yeah. Yeah, actually, we have compared the, the NERDA protocol with multiple baselines, including, I remember it is about six to seven baselines, including multi-pixels, uh, fast-pixels, no-pixels, raft, and uh, e-pixels, domino, and, and so on. So at the very beginning, we we only conducted now evaluation in the local area network. So we just employ the VMs in, GC, in Google Cloud. So, so we run the uh, comparative evaluation in single data region. And uh, we have achieved much higher throughput and better latency. So the speed up can be about uh, 1.3 to 20.9x compared with the baselines. But uh, later, when we submit to the VLDB, we got some feedback from the reviewers. And reviewers suggested that we should also do some evaluation in the wide area network with multiple regions. And then when we supplement the, the evaluation in the wide area network, Actually, the performance advantage of NERDA becomes even more distinct because we have known that in the wide area network, the, perhaps the most well-known protocol is ePaxos. ePaxos claims that it can achieve opt- optimal latency in the, wire, in the wide area network, but that assumption may, uh, will, not become, will become not true when we separate the client and the replicas into different regions. So in now in the more general setting, when we have different regions for the client and the replicas, only NERDA protocol can achieve the optimal latency, which means we can commit the request in just one one RTT uh, in the fast pass. For ePaxos and MultiPaxos, they still need at least two or even two point five one RTTs to commit to commit the request. So that makes now latency performance much more distinct compared with the baselines. Yeah, for sure. I mean, like one round trip versus 2.2.5. That's a big difference. Yeah. <laughs> cool. And yeah. cool. um, so I, I guess kind of on this then, so this this works well when obviously we have, when the DOM primitive is working great and our messages are, um, are, are kind of being reordered. Did you do any mm-hmm. experiments sort of in the extremes of what happens when kind of, well, I don't know, what is the performance sort of tipping point when I'm seeing a lot more of my messages being um, arriving sort of out of order and I need to do some reorder. So I end up on the slow path more than I do on the fast path. Mm-hmm. Yeah, actually, I think, uh, actually, we have included such experiment in, the, in, our, in our conference paper, in our conference version. So, you know, for the DOM, you know, the big, uh, for DOM, the key, uh, the key parameter that we need to, I mean, we need to care about is the, how should we decide the estimated deadline? So here we are using the sliding window to estimate the one-way delay, and further we can decide the deadline. So for the sliding window, we have maintained a hyperparameter which is called the fifty, which is called the percentile. So that means you collect uh, some OWD, some one-way delay samples, and then you will just choose maybe to the fifty percentile, to the seventy-five percentile uh, as the estimated one-way delay. Of course, the larger percentile you use, then you will suffer from longer holding delay. But in that way, you can reduce more message reordering. So we have measured different, we have chosen different percentiles used to estimate the one-way delay and further decide the deadline. And finally, we found that with the 50 percentile, we can achieve the best trade-off between the holding delay and the, and the faster commit ratio. As we increase the, as we increase the, the dead, as we increase the deadline value, then of course we can continue to increase the fast pass ratio 
uh, we can continue to increase the fast commit ratio, but that that increase is just marginal. We are just suffering from more holding delays, which causes longer latency. So in the in our future work, we will we need to do more experiment to maybe we will develop an automatic mechanism to select the estimation method. But in our current design, we we have used the sliding window estimation with the 15 percentile as the estimated value. That has been proved to achieve the best trade-off. Yeah, I guess that probably is going to be the best answer in most mm-hmm. cases, right? So for now, it's good. But it's interesting, like as a future research direction, sort of mm-hmm. kind of having this monitored at, 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 at sort of like at runtime and varied depending on what's happening in the underlying network or whatever, and, and mm-hmm. sort of changing it over time based on on various factors. That's that's really that'd be, that'd be really cool to see it to see to yeah. see that. Um, mm-hmm. um, awesome. Yeah, I guess sort of like. Building on top of this, then. So, are, are there any sort of? I mean, I, I always like to. I always kind of ask this question. But are there any sort of scenarios in which uh, Nether uh, is is sort of suboptimal in terms of its performance? Like, what are the areas where it's sort of, yeah, its limitations? I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. For the limitations, actually, yeah, we should. I should admit it. It has limitations. <laughs> and also, <laughs> yeah, in the actually, I have uploaded the technical report of Nether to Archive. So in the appendix, I have talked about the limitations. I think the biggest limitation is still about the clock synchronization. As I have mentioned, uh, actually, I should emphasize that Nerdjet protocol's correctness does not depend on the clock synchronization. So we only rely on clock synchronization for performance uh, rather than correctness. But so even the clock synchronization fails, the protocol is still correct, but the performance will suffer from some negative impact. So, for example, if the clock synchronization suddenly fails, and then it, the DOM primitive may may uh, may be may be like uh, the DOM primitive is likely to generate very large deadlines, and when the receiver receives a large that de- when the replica receives the message with very large deadlines, and then this message uh, this replica will just hold the re- the message for a very long time, and this long holding time will be counted into the commit latency of this request. So in that way, that will lead to very bad latency performance. So, and in the appendix of the technical technical report, I have discussed this issue and also discussed some mechanism to address this problem. For example, when we have noticed that the holding time very long, we can force this request to be committed in a slow pass. So in that way, we do not need to suffer from the long holding time caused by the uh, by the wrong deadline. And here. I want to, uh, uh, here I want to highlight, highlight one thing. That is, for this kind of issue, it, it can be a theoretically, uh, theoretically it can be a problem. But in practical cases, it can hardly happen. I, I said this because of two reasons. The first reason is, uh, because of the Huygens algorithm we used in Nerda. So Huygens is a very robust clock synchronization algorithm, which means that it is using a robust probing mesh. So even some, uh, even some, uh, clock synchronization agents fails. So long, so long as there is no Byzantine node, the remaining healthy nodes can quickly, uh, can still synchronize with each other and they can quickly converge to the synchronized clocks. So the second reason is even if there is some Byzantine node, which keeps polluting the clock synchronization. In the recent literature, I have noticed that there are some mechanisms developed. For example, you can use some watchdog mechanism, and this watch, the watchdog mechanism can detect the Byzantine node, 
And then if this node keeps polluting my clock synchronization, we can just detect that and kick that node out of the synchronization scope. So in that way, this mechanism will prevent the long-lasting negative impact from Byzantine nodes. Fascinating, fascinating stuff. Yeah, it's interesting to see. I mean, I kind of am a little bit sort of detached from the whole sort of Byzantine sort of um, mm-hmm. them sort of protocols, BFT protocols, and sort of I don't keep up to, up, up to speed with them too much. So it's really interesting to see that they're kind of in their way even working on solutions around that sort of and like like mm-hmm. a watchdog or, or whatever, and how that can be leveraged for. For, for these sorts of protocols as well, which don't have the same sort of underlying assumptions. Yeah. That's really cool. I had another question as well about how mm-hmm. does, how do you handle sort of changing the member set of the, of the protocol um, mm-hmm. like rolling in new members and rolling out new members, uh, old members? How does Neda handle that? Oh, the short answer is for now, we, uh, for now we just inherit the view, the view based approach. We'll just okay. use the view stem replica approach. But in the near future, I think we can design more efficient membership change. For example, uh, in the recent protocol, maybe you have noticed, uh, in the, which is called Matchmaker. I think it is also published in, in VLDB. So for the Matchmaker, it can achieve even more efficient, more efficient reconfiguration. And I believe such protocol can be adapted and be applied to support the membership management in, in the future version of Neda. Fantastic stuff. So I guess kind of leading on from that then, where mm-hmm. do you go next with Neda? What's the next thing on the research agenda? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, good question. So actually, you know, this is not the end of the story of Neda. So uh, for the fo- uh, currently in, uh, currently in, uh, in my research, there are still there are three ongoing directions related to Neda. So the first direction is uh, productize the NERDA protocol. So after the NERDA protocol is developed, my supervisors and I all believe that this NERDA protocol can become a promising alternative and a replacement of the legacy protocols like such as the Raft and Multiplexos. So for now, uh, currently I'm working with some industry colleagues and we are trying to refactor the code base of NERDA protocol. And after we have, uh, we, after we have done that, we will continue to integrate NERDA into some industry systems. For example, Kubernetes. You know, Kubernetes, you know, currently, uh, currently the Kubernetes is using the ETCD as the storage backend. And ETCD actually is a standard implementation of, e- of Raft. And based on the feedback from some industry staff, they told us that the Kubernetes is suffering from the performance bottleneck due to the ETCD backend. So if we can reduce, if we can replace the ETCD with another protocol, which offers higher performance, then we should be able to bring performance boost to the Kubernetes system. And uh, similar systems such as the uh, Apache Parser, which is now using the Zookeeper, and this can, uh, Apache Parser is also suffering from the bottleneck due to the Zookeeper. And uh, in the future, maybe we can also replace the Zookeeper with Nerda to bring more performance improvement for, uh, for, uh, for Pulsar. And another thing, is, another scenario is the financial system. You know, for financial systems, they also require the fault tolerance. So this is something related to my first project, which is called CloudX. And in the future, I think I will also apply the NERDA protocol into, uh, to my first project to provide the fault tolerance for the financial system. So this is the first direction in my schedule. And the second, uh, the second uh, direction uh, related to NERDA is to extend the work, uh, to extend the application scope from the consensus protocol to concurrency control protocol. 
Oh, by the way, I have listened to your podcast uh, published in uh, published last month when you are talking about the detox uh, project with Coin. Yeah, so that is yeah that is that is a very insightful podcast, and I enjoyed that a lot. So you know, based on my and based on my understanding, you see the concurrency control protocol actually is trying to establish the ordering agreement of the uh, multiple shots. So that that means you submit a transaction. This transaction will be executed across multiple shots, but we need to satisfy the strict serializability. So concurrency control protocol is trying to establish the uh, ordering agreement across multiple shots, while the consensus protocol is trying to establish the ordering agreement across multiple replicas. So these two share much similarity. So if we can do high-performance consensus protocol with Cloud Sync, then we should also be able to do high-performance concurrency control with Cloud Sync. So actually, in my actually currently, I'm already implementing such a new protocol, which can provide both consensus and concurrency control. Um, nowadays, I have completed the design of the new protocol, and I'm now involved in implementing and evaluating. So uh, hopefully, I think this new protocol will come out very soon in the near future. And maybe when that day comes, we can have another talk about the new protocol. And uh, yeah, this is the second direction. And for the third direction, uh, as you have mentioned, uh, I'm also looking at some literature on the Byzantine fault torrent scenario. So Nerja, at this moment, Nerja is, is just a crash fault torrent, uh, crash fault torrent consensus protocol. So compared with the CFT consensus, the BFT consensus is even more challenging because in the BFT consensus, we should not handle the case when the node fails. You should also handle the case that the node is dishonest. So how should we achieve high-performance BFT consensus protocol? And in the past three years, we have seen that many researchers are becoming more interested in using TEE to accelerate the BFT. So TEE they stands for Trustworthy Environment, environment Execution Environment. For example, InterICX is a very good TEE uh, technique. So I'm thinking that by using the TEE technique and combine the TEE technique with NERDA protocol, we can make NERDA work. Also, we can also make NERDA work in the BFT scenarios. So that is the three dimensions. Fascinating. I mean, you're going to be busy for a long time, and that's also ah, yeah. fascinating. Fascinating <laughs> um, that directions. I'm really excited. I mean, if if you can kind of, my next question is going to be what impact do you think your work can have? But I mean, yeah. if you manage to get Neza in, in using Kubernetes and using Apache Pulsar. And mm-hmm. then obviously the financial application, that'd be some fantastic industry impact, right? That'd be amazing. Yeah, exactly. And yes, you can definitely come on the show again and talk about the um, the extension <laughs> to concurrent control protocol. That'd be a fascinating chat, I'm sure. Yeah, true. And yeah, true. Um, yeah and the, the third direction as well, the BFT, the, that's, that seems fascinating as well. So yeah, I'm sure there's going to be loads of really interesting work coming out from yourself, from your lab over the next sort of, over the coming <laughs> years for sure. So, <laughs> cool. um, so I mean, I guess sort of my next question was going to be what impact do you think your work can have? But I don't know if you want to add anything more onto that. Like how, how do you think people can leverage your findings in their day to day sort of work? Mm-hmm. Yeah. As I have, as we have mentioned in a, in a previous question, I think that by replacing the legacy protocols with NERDA, we can bring the performance improvement to many distributed systems. And another thing, which is also put in my to do list. Uh, maybe in the uh, maybe in the far future, that is, uh, you know, for the DOM primitive, we think that we can make the DOM primitive as a general middleware. 
So for if we can make the DOM as a general middleware, we can plug into any distributed systems which requires the consistency. So in that way, it should be able to bring a general a general acceleration to the distributed systems. So that can also be a promising a promising direction that we we need to do. But of course, by implementing this general middleware, it may be more challenging. We need to consider many other issues. In fact, that'd be really interesting. Yeah, for sure. I guess, yeah. I guess, yeah. So, of course, I am my, my um, kind of just changing direction a little bit here. Mm-hmm. I mean, sort of working on 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 the on the Nether project. What's mm-hmm. the most interesting thing that you have learned? Uh, actually, yeah, I I think for the interesting thing, I want to share two. I think I want to share two lessons I learned. Uh, one good news and uh, one good news and ba- one bad. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> so let's let's first talk about the bad news. Yeah. So, okay, yeah. 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 So first, uh, let's talk about the bad news. So in the distributed in uh, while I was while I was doing the research on the consent protocols, I I realized that this area is really crowded. So for example, because there are two because you know consent protocol have been have, have been developed for more than thirty years. So there are too many smart people and they have spent too much effort in developing different kinds of protocols. So this is what I call history burden. Because we are doing that 30 years after now, uh, after the pioneers. So when we develop, when we develop a new protocol, we, in order to make our protocol stand out, we need to defeat on many, many baselines. This is what we have encountered from the review, reviewer uh, feedback. So when we submitted the another paper to some conference tracks, and the reviewers were just uh, argue that why don't you compare with baseline A? Why don't you compare with baseline B? So in order to satisfy the reviewers, we need to add more and more evaluation in order to distinguish our protocol compared with the existing works. So for for the young researchers and students who want to enter this area and make some contributions in the in the consent protocols, I, I suggest that you must be prepared for the laborious uh, implementation and the evaluation work that you need to do. <laughs> so, yeah. so this is the bad news. And, uh, yeah, but, but there are also some, there are also some good news. So, so the good news, the good news is, um, we should, all, we should also, we should be aware that compared with the young researchers 30 years ago, we are now enjoying much better, uh, implementation conditions. You can have, you can have many available powerful techniques that you can use to improve the protocols. So if you want to make a contribution in the consent protocol, I'm sure that you can do something. Uh, in, based on my understanding, there are two paths that you can consider. So the first, first path is that you can consider to use some special network support, like what NoPexels and Speculative Pexels have done. You can also use RDMA, use uh, Program Smage, use, uh, uh, use SDN. You can use these new techniques to enhance the performance of the consent protocols and build your own contribution. And the second path is to use some software and deployable technique, such as the, uh, such as the clock synchronization and such as TEE. And by the way, TEE is also available in, in the public cloud like uh, AWS and uh, Microsoft. So by using these new techniques, you can create the unique contribution, which you can do, but the early researchers cannot do. So in that way, you can make your work stand out. I think that's that's a fast that's a fantastic answer to that question. Yeah. That's great. I love that. I, I love the bad news and I love the good news as well. I say it's great <laughs> stuff. Um, but it's so true that kind of the history bed and it, it, it's true. Obviously, I spend a lot of time in like the in the same sort of field and like and like in every database research. It feels like everyone's already done it all in the sixties and seventies and eighties, right? So you, you, there's so much to sort of learn and kind of get <laughs> your head around before you can then 
make a some sort of like layer on top, right? Um, yeah. I make some incremental improvement in some in some area, but yeah, no, I guess it, it's it's that's the, the 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 way the world is at the moment, I guess. But anyway, cool, um, awesome. So yeah, I guess kind of on the on the other side, then were there were there some sort of things that you tried while you were working on there that that you that failed that maybe the, the listener might be interested in knowing about? Yeah, yeah, I think yeah, this question, I think this question is uh, quite relevant to the previous question. Yeah, I think yeah, the problem is that. The, in the in the research, actually, this is a common pro, common issue for almost all the system related research. That is, you must you must behind the paper, you need to spend much much more effort trying to do the implementation and evaluation. Actually, you know, Merger protocol has been submitted for three times, and the, it is accepted in in the third time. But for the first the tw- uh, first two times, we submitted to the other conference venues, and it is rejected. And the reason for the and the reason for the rejection is because they said that okay we do not compare with uh, the other baselines or we do not uh, do this experiment or that experiment. So you know this actually makes me quite disappointing. Uh, makes me quite disappointed because we have designed such protocol. The only but the problem is we need to make we need to make now protocol defeat so many rivals. Yeah. So that is but these things these hard work cannot be reflected in a paper. <laughs> so that is quite disappointing. So when when I got rejection uh, for the first and the second time, my supervisors come to comfort me. They said, Oh Jinquen, do not be so disappointed. Uh, you know for the rough paper they have been rejected for six times. <laughs> so really okay well yeah that, that, that makes it <laughs> easier now right you know and that that got rejected six times and look how influential that protocol is. Yeah yeah yeah. So, yeah 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 so um, finally yeah finally so my supervisor my supervisor always encouraged me. He said, "He said we believe that our work is a good work, so we just need to keep working on that. And it is just a matter of time to get it published. And finally, yes, we get published in the VLDB, and also the review and the final review feedback is very is very positive. That encourages us a lot. That's yeah, that's great. But it is it is it is kind of quite disheartening, right? Like you've got to do." so much sort of work that doesn't ever get any really any real credit in the in the paper right like and, and it's like i don't know maybe it's, it's a problem it's a kind of a, a systemic problem with the system at the moment i guess with the mm-hmm. academic system and the way that things kind of work and i think it's especially prevalent in systems mm-hmm. um systems research but yeah um yeah um at least it got accepted eventually and i'm glad it did get accepted because it's, <laughs> it was yeah. a great read yeah. <laughs> cool. So um, we've got just a couple more questions now, and the, mm-hmm. the, this one is: is can you maybe spend some time telling the listener about your other research? I'm sure you work yeah. on loads of interesting, interesting things that happened in the past. So yeah, tell us uh, yeah. about some of your other stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Actually, I want to share some lessons. Uh, share some le- some tips that I have learned based on my past uh, past research experience. Yeah, go for it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think for the for the PhD students, this is a common this is a common challenge that we we were encountered. So how should you find the project that you think is promising and what you think you can you can do? So I think for the PhD research, it can be divided into two steps. Step one, you need to have an idea. Uh, you should have an idea that you believe it is promising. The second, second step two, you need to implement your idea and demonstrate the effectiveness of your idea. So comparing these two steps, I think step one is harder. Because when you do not, because this is a starting point. If you do not have the idea, you will just be blocked. You cannot make any progress. So here I want to share the experience. How should we generate some interesting ideas? So there are two ways. The first way is if you do not have the idea, I think at least you will have a general direction. For example, you can ask your supervisor to give you a general, uh, general direction. Of course, the supervisor will not tell you what to do step by step. That is the responsibility. That is your responsibility to uh, to figure out what to do step by step. 
So how should we, after we have got a general research directions, you just, then you will need to do a lot of literature review. For example, uh, when I first decided to do something in the consensus protocol, I just need to read, read about 20 papers, you know, <laughs> which published in the top tier conferences. So after you have read 20 papers, I believe that you should already get some sense. You should already have some inspiration. If you are saying that, okay, after I have read uh, 20 papers, I still have no idea, then don't worry. Keep going and continue to read another 20 papers and keep doing this. Finally, you will find something interesting. This is the first option that I, re- I suggested to other PhDs. And the second option is to make your hands dirty. For example, if you do not know what to do, you can find uh, uh, a merchant system. For example, if you want to do something in the consensus protocol, you do not know what to create. Then you can, can you can start by implementing the Pexos protocol or by implementing the ViewStem replication protocol by yourself. So when you are doing the implementation, you will learn some potential bottlenecks, some potential issues that the other guys cannot know if they do not execute if they do not implement that. So based on that. Perhaps at the beginning, you will have a very small idea, and then you continue with your small idea. During the implementation, you will make your idea bigger and bigger, and finally, probably you will have a good work. So that is the second tip I want to share with the other PhD students. And that's fantastic. Honestly, I love that. It's great. I think that's yeah. fantastic advice is read, 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 keep reading. <laughs> yeah. And it's a great way to generate ideas, right? Like that was sort of the approach that I sort of, took initially and and was sort of like if i can read all of these distributed transaction papers then surely maybe one day i can have an idea of my own <laughs> and then yeah. obviously yeah get your hands dirty right and i think that's that that, that, that like kind of advice is mm-hmm. is is true in in life as well in general and all and, and all things right like you you kind of you, you've got to i think they say you've got to crack a few eggs to scrap to make an omelet right so like you've got to get your hands dirty get in there and then and ideas flow from there right and the first thing you do might be terrible but the everything mm-hmm. is at first right the first podcast i recorded was terrible and hopefully by now they've got a little bit better i don't know the <laughs> 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 listener can be the judge of that no, I'm, really, I'm joking i'm joking but um <laughs> yeah uh, but no i think that, that that that's that's brilliant um so i think that kind of that answers that sort of i normally ask about people's creative process but you've kind of answered it there as well so i think that that that's a really really cool sort of answer i really mm-hmm. enjoyed that mm-hmm. Yeah. And I guess, yeah, just the, the time for the, the last question now is um, what's the one thing you want the listeners to take away from this podcast today? Yeah, yeah. To summarize, uh, to summarize in one sentence, I would say clock sync is becoming the new powerful weapon that we can use to accelerate uh, the distributed protocols. <laughs> yeah, that is what I want to share with the, uh, the audience. That's fantastic. Great. Let's, 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 let's end it there. Thank you so much, Jinko, for coming on the show. It's been a fascinating chat. I've loved it. If the listener wants to know more about Jinko's work, we'll put links to everything in the show notes. And again, if you do enjoy the show, please do consider supporting us through Buy Me A Coffee. It really helps us to keep making the show. And we'll see you all next time for some more awesome computer science research.